My name is Ben Almond. I work for a Fortune 250 company with over 50,000 employees. Using the perspective of this background, combined with my own life experiences and a passion for great leadership, I share observations and ideas for you to use on your development journey. This is The View, from where I sit. safe place for equality. Hey everyone, Ben here. This week we're continuing our quest for knowledge around equality. Yet again, we had planned to have a discussion on career, leadership, and growth with a really interesting guest, but we can't miss the opportunity to have an open dialogue about the things going on in the world today and how we can each learn from the past to shape our future. Ron Williams and I met for the first time around 2013. I was leading water in Canada at the time, Tom Price, who is the lead for Water in the West, and I would, from time to time, participate in each other's leadership meetings to share or borrow ideas. At the first West meeting that I joined, Tom introduced me to Ron, who was leading the sales in the West region. We were fast friends, and quickly Ron became someone I would turn to for advice on ideas or approach, to challenge my thinking. He's a spectacular coach and leader who cares about people and the environment he helps create for them. His strategic thinking, calm advice, and his approach to problem solving is incredible, and I consider myself lucky to get to call him a friend and a colleague. In the years that followed, through a lot of change, Ron's continued to do amazing things. He's clearly not done yet. In our chat, we cover a lot of ground. We learn about Ron's journey in life and his career. He shares some history that's been meaningful to him and his own experiences growing up biracial, including how that's transferred to the workplace. There's a lot to absorb in there. I don't want to give much more away. It's far better in Ron's words. Enjoy. Well, excited to have you here, Ron. And I think it'd be great for people to hear a little bit more about you and your journey to get to where you are today. And and we can see where the conversation takes us from there. So why don't you tell us a bit of your story? Yeah, great. Thanks, Ben. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me. I'm a guy from New Mexico, little little state. I grew up in Albuquerque. Uh, my mom is from that area originally, and my dad is actually from New Orleans, Louisiana. But my dad made his way there. I was born and raised in Albuquerque. I went to school in New Mexico. Got done with school and, and moved to uh, Los Angeles for my first job, which was quite a leap from the little town in New Mexico where I went to school at. But I learned a lot in that first job, and I didn't spend very much time there because I really kind of knew after a short period of time it wasn't quite the job for me. And so I had a friend who was going to work for a consulting firm in Phoenix, Arizona. And so I moved to Phoenix, started working for that firm, you know, was there about six years. At the time, even when I was graduated from college, I had wanted to work for CH2M. My focus had always been on water. And at the time, CH2M was the preeminent firm in that. And I came across a, an acquaintance who you know, had some contacts at CH2M. And I ended up getting an interview. I made a switch and started working for CH. And as time went on, I got to know the company and I started doing different things. I was mostly trying to help build the business locally in Phoenix, interacting with clients, you know, writing proposals, delivering work. It was interesting in that as I started locally in Phoenix, CH had done a lot of irrigation type work and water resources work. You know, my background was more focused on design and construction of water and wastewater systems. And there really hadn't been a lot of work 
done locally in that area. So I had to really kind of grow that part of our business. So I focused on that for a bit of time and then got into doing, um, you know, project delivery focus and reviewing contracts and setups and pricing and those kinds of things. Learned a lot during that tenure. Then started chasing bigger projects and started delivering bigger projects. Got involved in some design build, alternative delivery. Phoenix and the metro area here really adopted early to construction management at risk delivery model. So I got involved in quite a few of those jobs. And then with CH2M at the time, we were starting to really spread our wings on, on design and build and got involved in a fairly significant job in Tucson, just south of Phoenix here. Worked on that job, delivered that project. It was about a nearly a $300 million uh, job. And then for the same client, we ended up winning a, a design build project and was involved in that, supported our team and, and the client. You know, always had a passion for doing sales and I got involved in doing sales. So I think it was around 2013, perhaps I stepped in as the regional sales lead and helped our team in navigating, um, you know, our sales program and developing it and continuing to grow our business for a period of time. As we were acquired by Jacobs, stepped into more operations and started working with the team initially in California, such that ultimately I was asked to step in last year into being the, uh, you know, regional director for the West. So it's been quite a journey, but I would say, Ben, that, you know, through that whole time, that the consistent thing I did in my career was every time there was an opportunity, I raised my hand and I said yes to change. It's hard for some people, but I was always embraced change and always raised my hand and it gave me an opportunity to spread my wings and expand my knowledge and horizon and got to do different things ultimately. So it's been a fantastic career. I feel very lucky for the opportunity to have done all the things I've been able to do. There's a saying, Ron, luck is where experience and capability meets opportunity. And you know, your beginning in Albuquerque, showing up in Los Angeles took some bravery. And, and from the sound of it, you've been growing both personally, but also growing the business that you've been a part of right from the beginning. And I, I've always known you as a, as a really strategic thinker and somebody who cares about people at the core of our business and, and our future. How do you connect those dots of you know, looking after the people today and connecting that with being very strategic in, in the long term. Yeah, you know, it's kind of funny, Ben. When I was in high school, I, I was a basketball player. I tell people that, you know, everything I learned in business, I learned when I was a high school basketball player. It's kind of a funny story, but I'll, I'll be brief about it. You know, I had three different coaches through my tenure playing basketball in high school. I had my freshman coach, my JV coach, and varsity coach, and they were all very different individuals. You know, and my freshman coach, what I learned from Lincoln Galassini was the art of focusing on and motivating others. You know, he was very good at focusing on the individuals on our team and challenging those individuals to get the best out of each individual that he could. And he did that for me in different ways. He used to motivate me by being very hard on me. And he did that for a long period of time until he and I had a, a specific interaction where he finally kind of revealed that the reason he was being hard is that he thought I had a lot of potential. And it was that moment where I realized what he was doing and I was all in on his leadership. 
And then I had a, a my JV coach. He was a very different guy, but what he taught me about was the ultimate benefit of teamwork and that the ultimate measure of a teammate is giving you of yourself for the greater good. And, you know, when you're in sports, sometimes that means your role is sitting on the bench and practicing your tail off and not getting much playing time. But he always encouraged everybody to play their role. We all knew what our role was and, and, and he challenged us to do our best in fulfilling that role. And, and the result was that we, you know, went undefeated that season. It was a testament to his ability to navigate our egos and, and, and have us do what we needed to do. And then the third coach I had was, was a varsity coach. And, you know, his lesson was a little bit different. And what I learned from him was that as a leader, you know, you must listen to your team. And it wasn't the best experience from him in that I learned that lesson because that's the antithesis of what he did. He never listened to his team. And as a result, you know, we didn't achieve ultimately what we set out to achieve. But those three coaches and people had significant impact on me and taught me a lot about business and about connecting with people and motivating people and how you do that. Yeah, I love that, Ron. Particularly like the contact with coach number three there in that we often talk about the biggest influences in our leadership growth or our personal growth being these really positive interactions. And many times you, you learn more from some of the ones that were challenging or, or maybe not as great of an experience because sometimes, you know, the best things you learn are things you'll never do or, you know, from something that maybe didn't work for you as, as a member of, of a team that you can translate into something much better. You know, if I approach this this way, that means the team won't feel the way I did in that past situation. So I really I really like that. Yeah. So, you know, what, what I always then try and do as a leader is like you're pointing out, Ben, the antithesis to what my coach did and that I'm always trying to acutely listen for both overt as well as subtle elements of what my team is telling me so I can pick up on those nuances if they happen to be nuanced and, you know, make adjustments along the way. So you're right. Sometimes you learn about, you know, from mistakes that others make. Listening right now, Ron, seems to be about the most important skill set that any of us could have. And not just listening to the words that are said, but hearing from the body language, even if it's via video or the actions and emotions that you're seeing out there. I feel like being empathetic and able to really hear those messages is something that, you know, not only can set people apart in leadership roles in business and community, but I, I feel like in society today might be one of the most important things for all of us to be paying attention to. Yeah, and today with what's going on, Ben, it's a very difficult, challenging time for people in many different ways. And I'll share with you and others that my experience is, I think, different and unique, although I, I'm not I'm sure that others have similar experiences that, you know, I come from a biracial household. My my mom is Latina. My dad is uh, African-American, grew up in New Orleans. You know, so for me, there's... Um, very direct and personal experiences I've had, you know, that are, I'll say they've been interesting and have been formative in, in my growth as a person and an individual. I am who I am because of those experiences. And, you know, a lot of people 
look at me and don't know my background. And, and so oftentimes then I've heard people say things, you know, until recently I realized that a lot of times I've tried to just get along and not say things. And I never really thought about the impact long term on my mental health on that. And, and recently with all that's been going on and quite frankly, these courageous conversations that we've been having around the firm have really helped me, you know, come to grips with that and be more forgiving in some ways of myself for just accepting those things and not saying anything, but also be more courageous and speaking out and, you know, not willing to accept comments like that anymore. Yeah, I think we're all learning along the way, Ron, right? You know, and I've said this before, for some of us, it's been a bit of an eye opening for what some people that, you know, we care about have gone through without us really being aware. And that's been a bit of a shock and and rocked us to our core, you know, as we've been surprised by something that was happening just outside the door, so to speak. You know, now being able to hear people share their experiences and how they felt and the impact of those things has, has been once you get over the initial shock of realizing, you, you know, you really just don't know what you don't know and start to focus on learning and, and learning from others experiences and, and trying to figure out how to be a positive influence. It's been a really interesting period of growth for me personally, as I've talked to people like you, Ron, and others that I really respect that have been willing to share some of, you know, not only their personal experience, but also the things that they see around them and and their observations on how we move forward. You know, I'm constantly aware that I've probably walked past so many things that I would not be okay with without even realizing it in the past. And, And hopefully, People being willing to share and others being willing to listen and learn, you know, put us in a place where, you know, we can address some of these things head on together as we as we try and create, you know, a greater sense of equality. Yeah, you know, I think now is absolutely the time to to do that. And there is no other time other than now to make change and impact change in a significant way. You know, there were certain things that as I was a kid growing up, certain things that my dad used to always talk about. And, you know, when I was a kid, I never fully appreciated or or quite frankly, really understood what he was doing and why he was telling me those things. You know, there was there's one that I'll share with you. And, and Ben, I'm always a student of history because I, I firmly believe that when you study history, you understand what's happened in the past. It, it completely informs your present and can change the future. So, you know, I would say that uh, one lesson my dad always taught me about was uh, this court case that occurred in Louisiana in 1896. It was this case called Plessy versus Ferguson. And, you know, this was a landmark decision by the U.S. Supreme Court that I think, you know, affected in a significant way the history of the United States for a long period of time. And it has brought us to you know, the things we're seeing today, I think, you know, basically what the Supreme Court did in that decision was they upheld the constitutionality of racial segregation laws for public facilities, as long as the facilities in their mind were equal in quality. Well, you know, I, I think that we, we kind of know how that went. But interestingly enough, you know, this gentleman, Homer Plessy, was a gentleman who was seven eighths white 
and one eighth black from New Orleans. And, you know, he chose at one day to, you know, sit in a public train, you know, they have those public trains in New Orleans, uh, streetcars. He sat in a streetcar that was for whites only and told to sit in, in the back of the car. And ultimately he was convicted of violating at the time what was Louisiana's, you know, separate car act of 1890. Upon conviction, he appealed to the Louisiana Supreme Court, which upheld that decision. And then it went to the U.S. Supreme Court. The U.S. Supreme Court in a 7-1 decision, you know, ruled against him. That was a significant event in history that I think set the stage for a long time. And, and really, you know, what it did was the court at the time, the Supreme Court rejected arguments that Plessy's lawyers had and basically said, you know, the states have inherent power to make laws regulating health and safety and and morals and to pass those in their individual states. And from there, you know, there was a significant movement to create these laws that, you know, quite frankly, stayed in existence from the 1890s until 1960s or early 70s. So, you know, that's a historical lesson there that for me, I heard for a long time growing up. And I, I've thought about it a long time and, and what the impact is. And, and then with my dad being from New Orleans, you know, it really resonated. Yeah, it points out, Ron, that this isn't something that ended centuries ago. It's challenges that, that exist, you know, today. And even laws changing is something that has been happening within our lifetimes. Right. Yep. So, Ron, I, I uh, want to ask you, because this is something I'm sure other people can relate to, you know, growing up and being biracial, I, I've heard people talk about the challenges where folks have not necessarily felt embraced by either of the communities that they're connected to through their history you know, there, there's some unique challenges for people as they've progressed through their lives being biracial. And I wonder if you might share some of your experiences and, and some of your hopes and view of the future from both your learnings and experience and study and, and for sure your leadership looking forward. Yeah, I would say, Ben, that you've touched on something there that's been, uh, really for me, uh, an interesting journey in my life, you know, where I've sort of, you know, straddled this world between, you know, blacks and, and whites, I would say. And, you know, from the discussion just a minute ago in Plessy versus Ferguson, you, you heard me say that uh, this gentleman at the time was, um, you know, one eighth black, which I'm more than that. I might not look it, but I'm more than that. So I put myself in that gentleman's shoes and say, well, that could have been easily could have been me. And so, you know, it's been it's been a journey, Ben, where I say that there's been times where, you know, I haven't quite been, you know, black enough for white people or black enough for black folks. But I, I've always grew up, you know, thinking of of the worlds in which I lived in, you know, my dad's family and and those experiences and my mom's family in New Mexico and those experiences like I felt like the luckiest guy in the world, quite frankly, you know, living the life that I've had. And, 
you know, it's, it's, it certainly has had its challenges from time to time. I recall a story. I was, um, a young engineer and it was after I moved from Los Angeles to Phoenix. And I was working for another consulting firm and it was early on and we had won this big job with the city of Phoenix and the city of Phoenix had some MBE, WBE goals and, uh, that we had to meet as the prime consultant on the job. And our firm hired a local Phoenix firm that was, you know, headed up by, uh, African American gentleman. And part of my role in that project was to manage that contract for them and manage their work. And I remember, you know, one day going to my boss and communicating to her that, you know, we were going to be a little bit late in the deadline that we had for our, our for our work and particularly for that piece of work, because the firm, you know, as I reviewed their their work products, it wasn't quite what we wanted. It wasn't quite up to you know, the needs that we had and that they were, you know, I communicated that to them and, and that they were, they were on the right path to, to get it resolved. And, you know, her, her comment to me, and this was pretty, I was less than a year into this new company that I had gone to work for. And, and her comment to me at that time was, well, that's what we get for hiring a minority firm that doesn't know what they're doing. And, you know, I was, pretty taken aback because she then made some personal comments about the principal from that firm that were completely, you know, out of bounds. And, you know, I was still a pretty young guy at the time, first time in my professional career where I had faced something like that. So I kind of stepped back and just kind of ignored the comment. And then it really started noodling on me or sticking in my brain what she, what she said. And I, I finally got to the point where I, I just could not let it go. So I went to the principal of our firm, the partner for the local operation. It happened that he and I were on a trip to, um, visit a client and I basically relayed the story to him. And basically laid it out there that said, well, look, I, I can't tolerate this kind of behavior and, you know, that it was completely unacceptable. And, and I was going to sort of give this a, a free pass. But if it occurred again, I was going to take some action about it. Needless to say, it didn't it didn't happen again, but it certainly jaded my view of that individual and my supervisor. And of course, this, the answer I got from my boss, he was kind of taken aback at my response. Finally, I had to reveal to him my background and, and it was, it wasn't until then that he understood because he didn't know my background at all. So, you know, that's one story that I had been about my professional life. And there have been others, but that stood out because it was so new into my career. And I, I had to take a stand at that point in time and decide what I was going to do as an individual. Yeah, it's interesting, Ron, as I, I listen to that story, I have so many things in my mind. And one of the things that stands out in my head is I would love for us to be able to create that environment where, you know, the young version of you that is operating within, you know, whatever community or, or company that's out there feels no hesitation to challenge that kind of behavior because they don't have to be afraid of some form of reprisal. and there's the other layer to that that is, you know, I, I'll be honest, a, a bit of a embarrassment. I'm making an assumption that your boss maybe thought you were white and was surprised that you would be upset by those types of comments. 
both of those things sort of bother me that we're not in that first place yet and that there would be that feeling that that's okay because you're white and and you're not from that same heritage as the person that was being discussed. So I wonder if this isn't a good place, Ron, you know, there's a lot of work to be done from what I can gather here. Learning more and more and the magnitude of the task ahead of us is probably only even partially visible to me now. But I wonder if you might be able to talk to me a little bit about your vision of how someone like me that wants to help create that environment where people feel safe engaging in challenging behaviors that aren't okay, that, that none of us feel like are okay, where we create that, that environment. And also maybe some advice to folks that unfortunately have been living and operating in a world where this has existed on either some overt or more subtle level. And how do you feel more confident sort of coming up to the surface and speaking about it the way you did, right? Yeah, I, I would say that there are, to me, you know, three three things that, that we can do as leaders. These are some of the ideals that I try and, and live to as a leader where, you know, it starts with me building trust with everybody that I engage with. Because I think when you can build trust with all employees, then you're building an environment where people feel safe, where they can be their authentic selves, where they can, you know, really be vulnerable because I think it takes vulnerability for people to be open about, you know, very personal things at times that are going on with them. I know that that day, for whatever reason, I, I felt the need to comment to the partner about the statement my boss had made. There, there were other times that I would say that I, I didn't say a thing. And I don't know what I've often thought about why that day was different versus other days. But I think the key is if as leaders we build trust and we build vulnerability for people to be their authentic selves. And then I think the other part that's necessary is advocacy. You know, I think we have to build advocacy for everybody. You know, everybody needs advocacy. But I think in these times where we're at now, Ben, certainly our black colleagues need advocacy because I, I think that there's a lot of times where people don't feel like they have an advocate. They don't have, feel like they have somebody that's got their back that can support them through these trying times and maybe through some of these microaggressions that unfortunately still are occurring. You know, that's as leaders to me, those are the things that I try and do to make a difference so that people can feel like they can come to me and talk to me about these things in a free and open manner. Yeah, I like that, Ron. Started to create that environment that, you know, we all wish that that young you had probably been working in where it was a lot easier. You know, as I think about this, I've listened in on the courageous conversations we've had inside the firm. I've had a number of discussions over the years with people where folks have shared some of some of their experiences with me. And one of the things that consistently stands out as I reflect on these discussions is it's really sticky, right? Like I assume your boss doesn't remember that discussion that you had around that that event or that that event doesn't stick in the mind of, of the person who had made the comments to you. But 
you know, the way you describe it, it sure sounds like you might be able to recall even the color of socks you were wearing that day. It's so clear in your mind. And that stands out as being, I mean, one, it, it makes me really sad to think that there is a time where people blow past something that is so impactful in people's lives. I think it's on us, and that's the collective us, right? To be more self-aware and aware of the things that are happening around us so that we can, you know, be that advocate. I've been reading a lot about, you know, how to be a good ally and that ranging from, you know, simply inserting your presence even if it's in proximity to a conversation like the one you were having and showing that, you know, there's support there all the way to, you know, real distinct intervention type of uh, engagement. And, you know, I wonder in your experience, you know, you've seen some things that work really well in the moment and things that have been more challenging. And, you know, now we're talking about sort of real life you know, at the coffee machine or in the hallway or in the grocery store type of engagements. But I'd love if you've got any advice on that front of things that, that work that maybe people haven't thought about that are good. Yeah, well, I, I would say, Ben, that I, I wish I had some magic antidote that I could apply and, and, and say that are the things we can do in those moments. I, I don't really have a lot of insight into that. I think what I've done is live through those moments. And my response is, you know, a lot of times, particularly when I was younger, was to get really angry really quickly and to kind of shut down and just disengage. And, you know, I've had to learn and, and kind of get myself to the point, well, that doesn't really do any good. You need to engage and challenge in a different way. And so, you know, I guess one technique I've tried to adopt or come up with and utilize in these kinds of situations is my nature is generally I'm a positive guy and I constantly then try and think of a counter argument related to some point around, you know, positivity. I've recognized a lot of times you can't change people's mind, but you can certainly inform them about different things and give them a different point of view. And that's usually what I try and do now is uh, if somebody makes a comment that I feel is ill-informed or inappropriate, I let them know that in a you know in a polite way i'm not trying to be aggressive or you know but i try and do it in a way that that makes them clear that i i don't tolerate or accept that kind of language but then informs them about something that perhaps they may not know about so that they can think about that later that's usually the technique i i try and apply them i i like the turn to positivity right i try to do the same thing when we get a little wrapped around the axle and try to back ourselves out of um, whatever situation we find ourselves in and look for a light at the end of the tunnel, even if it's far away and difficult to get there, because people tend to respond better to that. You know, I know for myself, Ron, that I've really, I've been doing a lot of self-assessment lately and, and asking myself, how will I behave differently or what will I do differently going forward to make sure that I'm driving those outcomes that I would be proud of? And that doesn't necessarily mean fixing everything. It means, you know, focusing on the things that I can control. And oftentimes that's my reaction or how I engage. Have you seen, you know, in the last little while as this has been a topic that we've all been talking about probably more than, than any of us have ever experienced. 
have you felt yourself or is there anything in there that you've had a bit of a either felt more comfortable with or you've had a light bulb come on to allow you to engage or do things a little bit differently than you have before? Yeah, I mean, these discussions, these courageous conversations that we've had, you know, they've really been impactful on on me. And what I've tried to do is, you know, as I think about how to engage and conduct myself is is really, you know, find a way to connect with people and, and bring that compassion to those conversations, recognizing that each of us has a different, you know, journey that we're on and we've had different experiences and try and do that the best that I can. I think embracing those differences and, and the fact that we're being willing to talk about them should only be empowering for us when we start to move forward together, because that should bring out the core of inclusion, right? Which is allowing us to get the best out of everybody's experiences, right? The good and the bad experiences inform, you know, who we are and, and our thoughts and ideas and vision. And I think if we can bring all of that to the table, you know, in any sense, right? This could be in problem solving in, uh, you know, in the home, problem solving at work, problem solving in the community. But, you know, our ability to share freely those experiences and the thoughts that come from them, I think anyway, will only create a place that's better and more powerful when it comes to coming up with better answers. Yeah, I agree. So Ron, what about, you know, looking forward, you know, you understate your level of influence uh, in our organization and in the community. And, and I know there are a lot of people who look up to you, you know, me being one of them. How do you view the future? And, you know, what are your thoughts on, some of the things we do in the near term that help affect the long term. You know, I think, Ben, that I feel really lucky to be working with the team that I'm working with here in the West. I think we have an unbelievable amount of talent and passion and creativity that exists with our team. And what I am trying to do with our team is each sort of meeting that we have, we start with a, you know, a culture of caring moment where, you know, I'm trying to inform and, and share information with our team about things that have occurred in history that explain in part some of the situations we have, you know, today. And, uh, for example, our, our last team meeting that we had, I, I started off with a culture of caring moment where we talked about the, um, Tulsa massacre of 1921 and Juneteenth. It was happened to be last Thursday. This was before Juneteenth celebration on Friday. And I tried to, you know, share with the team a couple of slides that would, you know, create some knowledge for them. And so, you know, I think that the more we can inform each other and the more we can communicate, you know, the better off we'll be. And I, I think that the team appreciated that information. You know, I don't, I don't think that some of them had known of some of those things and not all of them knew of, of all of it, but you know, I feel like it was my duty as a leader to kind of bring that to the forefront so it can help shape and create understanding. And I view my role as, you know, being that, that light that moves us ahead, creates opportunity, creates, you know, really that 
aspirational goal of inclusion that that we want to all get to so that everybody feels comfortable coming to the table and and bringing their their best self so that when people come to work they focus on you know the things that they can do not that they're worried about you know what is one of their colleagues going to think because of some difference that they have from their colleagues so you know that's that's what I'm trying to do Ben is bring the, what I can to create a positive environment for everybody so we can exceed all that we set out to exceed, which creates opportunity for everybody on our team. Well, Ron, I'll tell you this. I would say that your team, the company, our industry, and the communities that you operate in and around are really lucky to have you around. And I'll ask you a favor as we go forward. Those of us that are continuing to grow and get better I hope that you'll keep helping us along the way and coaching and guiding and course correcting and help us all get better. Because if we all take a bit of a step forward, I think that future you just described is really possible for everybody. Yeah, well, I, I can't thank you enough, Ben, for this opportunity to have this discussion. It's it's really important time for us to be talking about this. And this is a great forum to do this. And you know, your leadership has created this opportunity for all of us. So thank you very much. Yeah, thanks, Ron. This is, this is only the beginning. Wow. Another eye-opening and important conversation. We're lucky to have folks like Ron who are willing to help us all recognize both the history and the current reality of racism in our world. Ron sets a great example. He's calm and considered. He sees hope but knows that it relies on each of us finding our own version of contributing to equality. I want you to consider everything you've been learning from our stories, our friends, our peers, and from history. As we talked about last week, think about the things that have shaped your bias and how you can use that understanding to help with your own personal growth. One of the things that continues to come back into my mind is that we each need to consider our interactions and how they impact others to remember that what happens in the dark comes into the light. Would Ron's boss have talked to him in the same way had he known his heritage? In the world that we want, there wouldn't be two different interactions if you knew or didn't know someone's race. If we all truly embrace and pursue equality, we can create a space where it's safe for us to be ourselves with each other. We don't need to put on a mask to be what we think others want us to be. We can embrace our differences and learn from each other in ways we haven't even come close to yet. Think about this and give yourself two goals each day. First, be intentional about creating a space where it's safe for others to be themselves. So do one thing better tomorrow than you did today. And second, find a way to share a little bit more of your true self with the people around you, be it at work, at home, or anywhere that you may go. If we all do a little bit better each day, we'll make the world a better place. This is the view from where I sit. 